Dr. Jim Brenneman and Terry, would you please come up here with us? So, um, Dr. Jim Brenneman is the president of American Baptist Seminary of the West, and he's done his MDiv from Fuller Theological Seminary, and your doctorate is in Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament, and you do have a couple of books under your belt, and you did something on the the canonical conflict and the Deuteronomy, right? And we are very glad to have Terry with us, who's a clinical psychologist, um, and you guys worship at Lakeshore Baptist Church, right? So can we give a very big warm welcome to both of them? And Dr. B, preaches the Word of God. Well, it is a privilege. I've always said in moving to American Baptist Seminary, the West named as one of the 10 most diverse seminaries in the nation. That is, we have no majority culture on our board, in our staff, in our uh, faculty, and in our student body. I always have said, it's, I feel like I have died and gone to heaven. Well, after this, as of this morning, it almost feels like I have died and gone to the Holy of Holies <laughs> within heaven. So thank you. It's, it's a real treasure to be with you. What an amazing uh, congregation you are. I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters at the American Baptist Seminary of the West, uh, not least of whom includes your, your dear pastor, who's doing her doctoral work, and we look forward to the research that comes out of Reverend Dr., soon-to-be Dr. Margaret Louie. And thank you, Pastor, for inviting us to be part of this as well. So, I, as you can see, I've titled my sermon this morning, The United Nations of Christ. Some time ago, Rudyard Kipling wrote a poem called, that said, All good people agree and all good people say that all nice people like us are we and everyone else is they. All nice people like us are we and everyone else is they. We and us, they and them, long before he penned these words, people everywhere seem to divide the world in half. There's us and them. There's nice people like us, and then there's everybody else. There's, uh, this primal dividing wall has gone on since the hunter-gatherers, like Cain, divided themselves from the shepherd-farmers, like Abel. Us and them, them and us, men and women, Coke versus Pepsi, warriors versus raptors, dog people versus cat people. I read an article in Psychology Today recently that suggests that one of the best ways to engage someone's personality is whether they love dogs or cats. Never mind the Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram. Just figure out whether they love dogs or love cats, okay? And you'll figure out their personality. Two massive studies of 11,000 dog and cat owners showed that cat people are more open-minded, more shy, a bit more neurotic than dog people. All right? Dog people, on the other hand, are more obedient. They like to follow the rules more than cat people. Cat people are more likely to be atheists than dog people, and I kind of think that's because dog is God spelled backwards or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> dog people are 15% more extroverted than cat people. 
70% of cat people would not accept a dog as a pet. On the other hand, 70% of dog owners would accept a cat as pet. And as for me, I love both cats and dogs as pets, so I'm what the study called bipetual. <laughs> now, as long as humans have walked this earth, we've created tribes of belonging. And that's a good thing, really. According to Seth Godin, the author of this New York Times bestseller, Tribes, he says human beings can't help it. We need tribes. We need a place to belong. Tribes are about faith, about belief in an idea and in community. Tribes are grounded in the respect for a leader of a tribe and for other members of the tribe. We need tribes. Studies have shown that among the highest desires expressed by teenagers is not sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but it's a need to belong. I would guess if, if asked, that's true of most of us this morning, isn't it, as well? We just want to belong. Years ago in Pasadena, when I planted a church, my wife and I planted a church there, right next to Caltech, we had many scientists and others from Caltech coming. And many of them came, and they belonged to the congregation, some of them years before they actually believed in the God of the congregation. The desire to belong is rampant in all of our lives. And it's okay that one wants to belong even before they believe. If belonging is a universal drive, then where else would we rather someone feel belonging than in the church? Seth Godin reminds us that tribes can be positive. Safe zones of spiritual and identity formation. We have religious tribes, racial and ethnic tribes, family-oriented tribes, economic and political tribes. In themselves, these aren't harmful. They can be a place for building healthy and thriving relationships and community. In the olden days, our tribes were often marked by natural barriers, such as mountains or languages or, or geographical locations or genetic family relationships. However, since the birth of the Internet, those barriers have largely been eliminated and we're creating all kinds of other tribes. There are thousands of Internet-based communities or tribal groupings. I'm sure some of you are part of those various groupings. Perhaps there's some Game of Thrones junkies here who are on that in that tribe, or vegans who live in cow country tribe, or introverts who love skiing. Just type almost any old, seeming unique and quirky interest that you have in Google or pick your choice, Reddit, any, any of the number of uh, places of search engines, YouTube, you're likely to find, no matter how quirky you are, you're likely in this day and age to find a tribe to belong to. Such is our desire. But sadly, we're also faced with how ugly and mean and exclusive some digital and real-life tribes can be, aren't we? We build walls of separation between us and them, some that are so high that you, you daren't even marry someone on the other side of the wall, such as the height of the wall between us and them. We see before our very eyes how narrow tribal feelings can result in hatred, leading to harm, 
even leading to death itself. We know the 21-year-old white supremacist named Ryan, uh, Dylan Roof, who entered the African-American community in Charleston, uh, uh, Emmanuel Church there in Charleston, and killed members of the institution while they were at worship because the wall was so high and the hate had grown so much and he was absorbed in a tribe of hatred. Interestingly, a while back, Spin Magazine surveyed 750 students asking them, what walls separate you from the other such that you would be even willing to kill them because you hate them? The question was asked them, who would you kill? Let's say you get a mysterious package in the mail, they were said. And inside is a device with a type pad and a little screen and a red button. And the instructions say something like, type the name of the living person and then press the button. That person will die peacefully, unknown to anyone else. There will be no trace as to how that happened. And... No one will ever know that you had anything to do with it. The button can only be used once, only today, and once the button is pressed, there's nothing can, you can do to undo the action. So, what would you do? Would you just leave the device alone until it became useless after midnight, according to this scenario? <laughs> or would you pick someone to kill? We all have enemies. We all have enemies. Nearly half of the students said they would not kill anyone under these circumstances, thank God. But surprisingly, over half responded that they would. When asked who, they listed people who were different from themselves. People of different culture, people who weren't part of their social or national identities, people they deemed enemies. Some of them, younger people, said people like, you know, that tour group that's going back, uh, what was it called, Boys to Men? <laughs> They're now middle-aged men on tour. You know, they just kind of, George Carlin, an unrepentant comedian, said his list would include folks who harmonize the last notes of Happy Birthday every time they sing it. <laughs> Eliminate them. People over 40 who can't put on reading glasses without making some self-conscious reference to their age. He said, eliminate them. I thought this was interesting. He said, born-again Christians. He said he couldn't stand most Christians the first time around, much less when they were born again. Such was his difficulty with his experience. Now, these lists would be funny, and they are at times, if history didn't show that ever since Cain killed his brother Abel, over their differences, we've been killing each other ever since. Different tribes, different nationalities, different religious traditions, different cultures, divide and conquer, separate us and rule, us against them. Being different has far too often meant being dead. I've always thought it diabolically ironic that decent people who love their own mothers, listen to their own fathers, care for their own children, if commanded to do so by the commander-in-chief, will kill other people's mothers, fathers, children, 
or even lock them in cages just because they are different culture, a different nation, a different religion. Isn't it ironic that fellow Christians of one nation will kill fellow Christians of another nation just based on the national boundaries and not their commonly held Christian beliefs? Couldn't we, as I used to have a poster in my room when I was a kid, couldn't all Christians just agree not to kill each other? Wouldn't that be an amazing world statement? Being of different of a different tribe or group or nation too often means we are willing to kill over that difference. Let me give you an example of that. I grew up in apartheid south, in the apartheid south. That's the apartheid here in the United States of America. I don't want to go back to those days. My childhood was divided by race, literally black and white. We had separate water fountains and bathrooms, separate schools and textbooks. These are just some of the signs that were posted in those days. Walls separated us from eating together in public restaurants. We had separate beaches, rode in separate railroad cars, and sat in separate places on buses. We had separate seating in theaters, separate hotels, and motels. Those days were marked by violence between the races that included uprisings in my high school after it was forcefully segregated. Riots erupted within blocks of my home when the Civil Rights Act was passed. It's more accurate to say of those days that this nation was the divided states of America, sadly. Honestly, for me, it feels like we're slipping back into the days of ugly tribalism, building ever higher dividing walls of hostility between us. These are just some of the examples of the walls being built. The, there's a two, we're arguing over building a 2,000-mile dividing wall between us and Mexico. In 1987, the great cry from President Ronald Reagan was, Tear down this wall! that stood between the Berlin Wall, I mean, between the East and West Germany. Three years later, the wall was demolished. East and West Germany were united again. Up until just 10 years ago, there were only seven dividing walls remaining in the world separating national boundaries from each other. Seven. Sadly, since then, 70 walls between national borders have been built. We're going in the wrong direction, folks. We had seven, and we're saying tear them down, and now we have 70 and more are being built. The trend is sobering. I'm even more saddened by the fact that if Jesus were living today in the holy land of his birth, he could not travel from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, which is just six miles, or from Bethlehem to Nazareth, 70 miles, because of a 30-foot-high... That's one of the pictures up here. The, the one on the top left is, is the wall between... It says Rachel weeping. That's at Rachel's tomb. It's a dividing wall between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. I'm on the Bethlehem side when this picture is taken. Jesus could not, like all Israeli Jews would be banned by the Israeli Defense Force from visiting his relatives or friends living in the West Bank that includes Bethlehem, Jericho, and much of Judea 
and Samaria. Today, Jesus would not be allowed to visit the Jerusalem Temple Mount and could only pray at the Western Wall, dividing the Jewish and Muslim quarters in the old city of Jerusalem. That is, he could go to the wall, you see the wall there, but he couldn't go on top where the temple was built, such as the dividing wall. And that's literally the wall, the western wall of the actual time, of parts of it, in the lower part, of when Jesus walked the earth. When St. Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians 2, verse 14, about the dividing walls of hostility that separated Jews and Gentiles of his day, I'm sad that his words still apply to modern-day Jews and Palestinians living in the Holy Land. For Paul, the divisions of his day were between those circumcised and those uncircumcised, the Gentiles and the Jews. If you were a Gentile or if you were a woman, if you were a handicapped person, you were automatically excluded from entering the temple. Even today at Israel's holiest shrine, this wall divides Jewish men and women from each other in approaching the great western wall of the Temple Mount, which divides Jews from Muslims at the very location that once believed to be the home of God's presence, the Holy of Holies. I'm sure Paul would be heartbroken to see such dividing walls of hostility still existing in Israel-Palestine today. He would be brokenhearted to see the dividing walls of hostility being built between us here in the United States, a country founded on the grand idea of e pluribus unum, out of many, one. Perhaps it's time to make hummus together instead of walls. In his letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is writing from prison, put there because he was proclaiming that Christ's love was to be extended to everyone, to all tribes and people, including the Gentiles. And he's, being, he's like a modern-day protester who's handcuffed and thrown into prison because he's proclaiming a unity instead of dividing, divisiveness. In Ephesians 3, he proclaims that the Gentiles, quote, have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, sharers in the promise and the boundless riches of Christ Jesus. He called this all-inclusive love of God the mysterious plan of God for the ages, that every family in heaven and earth takes their name, the name of God, from God. One of the great lessons that the Apostle Paul found in the life and teachings of Christ, as we've heard, was that Christ had come to break down the walls, tear down the walls, Christ says. The walls that separate Jew and Gentile, Greek and Jews, men and women, slave and free, us and them, tear down these walls. And in Ephesians 2, Paul puts out, pulls out all the stops and says, Christ is our peace, who has made the two or three or five or six or ten groups one and has destroyed the barrier of the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, Paul writes, out of two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens, this is citizen language, with God's people and members of the household of God. Christ is our peace. 
Christ has come to destroy the barriers between us, to smash the dividing walls of hostility between us. In Christ, we are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens of all God's people, members of God's house. Here in God's house, we believe what Isaiah the prophet said and what Jesus would say later, that God's house indeed, as we heard, a house of prayer for all nations. Here in this house of prayer, here at FBC Santa Clara, which you witness so much, on this All Nations Sunday, we sing the words of the psalm, all nations will come and worship before the Lord. Here in this house of prayer, here at FBC Santa Clara, all on this All Nations Sunday, we proclaim the words of Isaiah about dividing, dividing walls coming together when he said all nations will flow up the mountain against gravity to the house of the Lord and there the Lord will teach them and judge between nations. He will arbitrate between nations and he will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Here at FBC Santa Clara on this All Nations Sunday, we declare the words of Isaiah to be right and altogether true. Say to the north, give them up. To the south, do not hold back. Bring my sons from the far east and my daughters from the far west. Come, my people. Come from the ends of the earth, saith the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing praise, all you nations, unto the end of the earth. The words of the poet Emma Lazarus enshrined on the base of the Statue of Liberty in the New York Harbor echo the words of St. Paul and Isaiah and the psalmist, indeed of Christ himself. She purposely, Emma Lazarus, purposely contrasted Lady Liberty, who she called the mother of the exiles. She contrasted them from the warring, xenophobic gods of Greek fame. She says of these gods, keep ancient lands your storied pomp. Keep your brazen soldierly colossus with conquering limbs astride from land to land. We don't need your kind of godliness. Instead, let us heed the welcoming spirit of Lady Liberty, the mother of exiles, standing at the harbor's edge with lighted torch for all to see, speaking for the true American spirit. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free. Send these homeless tempest-tossed to me. May we depart from this place today, inspired by the vision of Emma Lazarus, of Isaiah, of St. Paul, of your embodied presence of the Spirit right here in this congregation, modeling for the world, leaving to the world to see that we are part of the tribe of Christ, the one who calls us to tear down the dividing walls of hostility between us. May we reclaim our role as ambassadors of the United Nations of Christ, who have been given the ministry of reconciliation. May we pray and labor together until the day day when the United Nations of Christ from every tribe and nation and people and language, and I love this in the book of Revelation, it doesn't just stop with the human beings. It says, and every creature in heaven and earth. That's an environmental 
vision. And every creature in heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them will sing a new national, an international, a global anthem that says, Worthy, 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 worthy is the Lamb that was slain, who was and who is and who is to come. One Lord, one faith, one spirit in and through us all, from whatever nation or tribe we come from forever and ever. Amen. Thanks be to God. Thank <laughs> you.